I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You're the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Randy Robinson here. Good to have you. I've got someone uh, that I was just kind of catching up with on the program today because we crossed paths back in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, around the end of the 90s. Uh, and then he has moved on. He's been pastoring in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for quite a while, a church called City of Grace. Uh, and and so I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's it's great when you meet old friends. And, and by that, I don't mean that... <laughs> we've necessarily kept in touch i just mean we're old so he's got a new book called loving yeah there's terry he's got a new book it's called loving samaritans it looks just like this uh and you know he's been all over the world he actually might know some real samaritans we'll find out but you know that's a metaphor those of you in the church understand that uh, and it's a powerful one because there's so much. And we're going to unpack some of that, hopefully encourage you today, help you love your neighbors a little better, people you don't know, people you may not like, but we are called to be uh, a light in this world. So appreciate you guys being here. Chat is open if you're watching a chat-enabled channel. Terry, man, like I said before we went on the air, good to see you again. It's great to see you as well. And thank you for the gracious invitation to be on with you today. Uh, just hearing your dad's voice there in that intro uh, just released a flood of memories for me. And it took me back to the fact that I, I was raised in a classical Pentecostal pastor's home. Some really good godly parents, but it was pretty legalistic. Mm -hmm. And at 18 years of age, I sort of snuck off and went to hear your dad in what I believe was the Tarrant County Convention Center. Yeah, yeah. And he was preaching on grace, and it completely changed my life. Introduced me to some of his friends just from being way up in the nosebleed section, hearing Dudley Hall and Rick Godwin and so many others. And I have such a debt of gratitude to your parents, to you, to life today. And I think so many of the themes that I'm living out in my life today, themes of unity and of loving people and building bridges and living compassionately and empathically, so much of that actually comes back to what I learned and saw modeled in your parents. Mm. So thank you for having me. It's great to come full circle today. Oh, no, it's great to see you. And I appreciate that. And you know, it's, it's an interesting illustration of how we plant seeds a lot of times, uh, and there's been a lot of watering going on in your life. And so it's it's nice to, to see that, uh, you know, we have a part with each other. That's the way I think God wants it to be. And so, you know what? There may be somebody watching today that you're going to plant some seeds that God will water over the next decades uh, to grow into something beautiful. Uh, and when you talk about building bridges, I mean, the idea of Samaritans in Scripture is the one of the ultimate bridge-building moments in Jesus' uh you know, short uh, ministry. Jump into the book. Tell us what we're talking about here. It certainly is. And it comes off of the heels of his connection with Nicodemus. So the story that I unpack in Loving Samaritans centers around two distinct moments. The first moment is Jesus connecting with Nicodemus and following that encounter that we all know so well, where Jesus invites him to be born again mm -hmm. and unpacks what that actually means, mm -hmm. Jesus then decides to leave Judea to go to Samaria. And he does because that there are baptismal wars. 
And the followers of John and the Pharisees and his own disciples are debating over who has baptized more people. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. And Jesus <laughs> wanted nothing to do with that. He had no intention to be a part of that controversy. So he left Judea. One translation says he fled it. It was like he was fleeing the, the religious legalistic community. And on his way up to the Galilee, he was led by the Spirit to Samaria. There he sits down at a well and has a conversation with a woman. And that conversation becomes the model for cultural engagement. It's a beautiful picture of God's kindness and compassion. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to have courageous but not contentious conversations and how that we can engage one another in a way that is winsome, in a way that doesn't compromise truth, but is loving and has the interest of the other in mind. One of the things I love about it, Randy, is that the conversation that John records there with this woman is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone in the Gospels. Mm. So I think in and of itself, that's telling. John wants us to know this really, really matters. And the scene is important because this wasn't any ordinary well. Jacob's well is uh, has a long, rich history, both of beauty and of tragedy. It's where Abraham stopped when he left his father's house. It's where Jacob lived after he reunited with his brother Esau. And then on the darker, painful side, it's where Jacob's daughter Dinah was raped, and his sons then avenged her dishonor and killed many of the men of Shechem. So Jesus chooses a pain point in the culture, a highly problematic extremely difficult place in a community to unpack the most beautiful picture of love and compassion and kindness. And it not only leads to her salvation, but the villagers come out and bear witness to him. They invite him back into the village. And then Randy, Jesus spends two days in this little community. And we don't know what happened. So we go from the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels to two missing days in Jesus's itinerary. I wonder if that's where he heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't know. But what I do know is that he fell in love with the Samaritans. And for the rest of his ministry, he's going out of his way to engage the other. At one point, the disciples even want to call down fire from heaven on a Samaritan village, as if they could, and Jesus <laughs> says no. And then finally, as he's about to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and by the way, don't forget my friends, the Samaritans. Huh. So the Samaritans are the picture of the other, and we have them in our family, we have them in our communities, we have them in our church, people who aren't a part of our in-group, who are in the out-group, and yet Jesus shows us how we can love them to life. It's So the idea of the other, because there's, there's something else that's going on in that story that I find very, very uh, significant. And that is the, when we think of the other, if you say, you know, like when you say the other, I think most people think, oh yeah, my lost cousin or my lost, you know, sibling or friend or whatever, uh, the ones who don't know God. The Samaritans right. weren't that. They weren't, yeah. you know, the Gentiles. They weren't the Romans. They worshiped, but they worshiped differently. And, you know, you and I grew up, I think, in an age where a lot of the denominational walls have, have really kind of fallen down. 
you know, uh, what you spoke about with unity, right. what you saw my dad going through. You know, there ain't no denominations in heaven. Pretty right. much, you know. But I, 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 one thing I do appreciate are different styles because they minister to different people. Some people really thrive on liturgy, and they want a very a quiet, you know, old music. You know, other people sure. like the rock and roll church, you know, um, that that just that that speaks to them and i don't have a problem with, with with any of the flavors um but what do you see when you look at the idea of others as people who claim to be believers but don't their theology is maybe a little different than ours i think our world is filled with others and i think you're right on uh, we have others that are a part of our own families mm -hmm. who have come to believe certain things about themselves or have made certain decisions that have led to behaviors that may be different from the way they were raised. Again, others in our church community, other types of churches in the world. And then, of course, we live in a very pluralistic world where even though we as people of faith are very clear on our worship of the one true and living God, we also exist in relationship with Muslims and Hindus mm -hmm. and agnostics and atheists. So the world is hyper-connected. It's as diverse as it's ever been, but it's more connected than it's ever been. So instead of us thinking of the other as being over somewhere else in the world, the others are right here in our neighborhoods, right here, even in our own churches and homes. What I love about the story, Randy, is that when Jesus encountered her, he shows us a couple of things that apply to every one of these in-out us versus other groups. And it's the common idea that all people are worthy of respect. Mm. All people are worthy of being heard. All people are worthy of hearing the truth without insult. And all people are worthy of unconditional love. And I think those are some really important values that we need to hold dear, whether we're dealing with people in our own family who've chosen to live in another fashion, or people in our community who don't share our common faith. We can engage with them in a way that is civil and kind and compassionate without compromising the truth yeah. of the gospel. Yeah, and I think that's important. I also like what Jesus did a lot of the time, which was people would ask him the most divisive question, the trap right. question a lot of times. Yeah. He, he just kind of would just go right by it because he would go to the deeper truth. And he obviously never compromised truth, but he never compromised grace. And I think right. we can learn from his example to to not necessarily look at the the sticking point that people want to deal with right now, which just causes the division. But let let's go to some bigger truths where it really reaches, speaks into their soul, not just to their intellect where they've got an issue going on. Um, yeah. What have you employed? that you learned from some of these principles that have impacted your life? Because I know there's many. Well, I love that idea that you've just um, shared there because Jesus is asked something like 113 questions in the gospels, and he only answers two or three of them. <laughs> so he doesn't let anybody set the agenda. He doesn't let anybody control the conversation. But at the same time, He's not controlling it in such a way that they feel repelled and rebuffed and turned away from the faith. In fact, as it comes back to loving Samaritans and the story that you and I are discussing here, in his conversation with the Samaritan woman, that conversation embodied some of the most provocative issues of the times. Yep. 
So it embodies things like cultural identity and religion and politics even and power dynamics and sexuality. So Jesus isn't afraid of the hot button topics, the topics that we were taught to not discuss in polite conversations. He just goes at it, but he goes at it in a way that has the interest of the person in mind. Mm. So he's not trying to win conversations. He's trying to win people. He's not trying to win arguments. He's trying to win hearts and minds. And he does that by engaging people from this deep place. I have a lot of practical ideas I could share, but I think before I maybe jump into one or two of them, I really would invite people, Randy, to embrace the idea as it relates to the formation of our interior lives and not just two or three behavior modifications. So let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, if I were to just tell someone, here's how you can engage Samaritans, one, two, three, we might follow that and we might be successful to some degree in that. But then the culture shifts around us and the issues change and the conversations change. And we've seen that over the course of our lifetime. So if I can help people to sit in the place of spiritual formation, to come to know Jesus, to have their heart formed in love, to realize that the gospel is shaped along the lines of love and the witness of the church is always to be anchored and expressed in love. If we can come back to this deep foundational work within ourselves, then regardless of what conversation we're in, we're not looking for a tool in the toolbox as much as we're letting Jesus shine through us and live through us and speak through us. Now, with that said, there are a lot of practical things that we can do. And I think it all begins with just walking through our day-to-day lives with our eyes wide open, and our hearts wide open, Mm -hmm. listening to the conversations of people around us, looking for opportunities to really connect with them, coming back to those same restaurants and coffee shops and getting in the same checkout line the following week, as I often do, (laughs) trying to pick out that person that I connected with last week, and then trying to remember what did I hear them say last week in that brief exchange about their family, about their fears, about their hopes, about their longings, and use all of these opportunities as opportunities to connect with people. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be known. And if we'll do that, it'll lead to some really rich and deep conversations that allow us to naturally share our faith. I, I hear a little bit, you know, we have, we go to this idea, especially in, in church, and, and I get it, towards good works. I want to do good, right? right? And we do. Yeah. I mean, I'm not knocking that. But really the calling is to be good and out of that yes. goodness do. And of course, in today's culture, every culture, you go, what is what is good? You know, it seems to shift. Well, Jesus said only God is good. And so yeah. when I think, okay, how do I want to love Samaritans better? How do I want to love my neighbor, love my family, uh, be that light in the darkness? The, man, if we focus on the... The doing, I think it limits us, but when we focus on the being, being good, and in scriptural terms, being godly, one, it's easier, <laughs> it's less pressure, because it's coming from it within, sure and it's it's not just going to impact those around us, it's, it's transformative for ourselves. And I think for some people, that is such a key, because there may be people saying, I, I, I don't know how to love the other. 
I've been hurt by the other. Mm. I've been, you know, I've, I've been rejected by the church. I, I'm suffering with church hurt. And so the church is the other for some people, right? Because mm-hmm. of the way they see it, the lens through which they see it. So if we're trying to love the other as simply an act of discipline, I think that's good. I think the whole world would be better if we just made a decision to try and love people sure. rather than to trend toward division as a virtue and not as a vice. Mm. So I think there's some merit in that. But I love what you're saying there, because ultimately, there are some people that I, as much as I would like to, can't naturally love. But Jesus can love through me. And this is much of what I learned from your father many, many years ago and all of his story and how that the religious world didn't celebrate some of the decisions that he made. And he made the decision that he was going to let Jesus love through him. And the beauty of that is that there's an infinite supply of love when I let (laughs) Jesus love through me. There's no bias because he loves everyone. Mm -hmm. He loves victims and he loves victimizers. Mm. And that's hard to get my head around. It's so hard. He loves the people that suffer and the people who have made them suffer. So if I can just sort of withdraw some of my quick and easy judgments, not giving up my convictions or deep-seated beliefs, but just say, I'm going to love people for the sake of the gospel. And of course, that all emanates from being loved well. So in knowing that we're loved, we can love well. Yeah. If we don't know that we're loved by the God of heaven unconditionally, then it's hard to love other people. And so for some people, the starting place would be just come back in and and open your Bible and sit in God's presence. Let him love you. Let him speak to you. Let him affirm you. Let him show you your worth and your dignity and your value and the plans and purposes he has for you. And then don't keep that inside. Yeah. Let that flow out of you into the world around yeah. you. Yeah. That's uh, so true. I mean, we are we are such finite beings. We can't pour out love if we're not receiving it. We can't pour out grace if we're not receiving it. We'll dry up real fast. Uh, and that's a yeah. that dry place to be is it's just no fun for for us, you know. If if you're there, uh, so yeah, yeah, you're right. I love it. Okay, this is the book. It's called Loving Samaritans by Terry Christ. And you know, Terry, in your bio, it said something about being in and speaking in like 65 nations yes sir like what have you been doing since we both left tulsa (laughs) (laughs) i've been doing a few things i following jesus just following jesus if you'll commit to a life of service as you have if you commit to a life of saying yes to him not my will but your will be done ultimately i'm not the hero in my own story let alone anyone else's story but jesus is the hero in all of our stories and if we just let him lead us this is what he did of course, all through the Gospels. And the beauty of this story about loving Samaritans is just as Jesus was led into Samaria, Jesus will also lead us. And it may not be 65 different nations. It may be 65 different coffee shops in your community. (laughs) It may be one coffee shop 65 times. (laughs) I'll do do the coffee shops, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It may be 65 conversations with a homeless person Mm. on the street. Mm. It may be 65 invitations for your dinner, for your neighbors to come over for dinner, Mm. and they reject all 64 of them. But on the (laughs) 65th opportunity, they come to dinner and they realize that you're not a weird person because you follow Jesus, but you are, in fact, the best neighbor that they've ever had. Yeah, I I wonder for a second, since you live in Arizona, are you counting like the the native tribes as an Oklahoma thing to do? Like Navajo, Hopi, 
the, the Pueblo Zunis. Are those the nations, or we're talking actually? How many? They are legitimate, straight up nations. They are, they? Oh, right yeah, they are. In Oklahoma, where we both lived, right through to all of the West, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. No, but you're talking. I mean, literally, when I saw that, I thought, how many? How many countries are there in the world? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it'd be easier to listen <laughs> ones you haven't been to. But here's here's the point. I mean, I mean that that's kind of cool. I, I love that kind of thing. I love travel. But you have to have seen some things, and I know you're not. You're not going to brag on yourself or anything, but you just you've got to tell us, give us a little example of what you've seen as you've put this into practice that has really impacted someone else. Sure, a couple of things uh, are just very close and localized uh, right here in Phoenix and the church that I've been privileged to serve uh, for 24 years now. Uh, we have an elderly gentleman in our church named Terry, 80 years old. And he heard me preach on this idea of loving Samaritans a couple of years ago. And Terry had lost his wife and was living alone and was trying to find some things to do to just sort of fill his days with purpose and significance. And he decided, I'm going to be the grandfather to the neighborhood. And instead of telling kids to get off my yard, I'm going to invite them onto my yard. <laughs> I, I think maybe he needed to uh, add to his insurance policy because he welcomed the kids in the neighborhood to climb his trees and to build their forts and to just treat his yard as if it were their own. Wow. And so kids were doing things in his yard that their parents would let them <laughs> would not let them do in their own. And over time, the parents begin to see it. And Terry has now been adopted by the entire neighborhood, mm. and he's known as the honorary grandfather of the neighborhood. And I love stories like that. I love the story of the lady who came to our church and gave her life to Jesus and then had a conversation with my wife, Judith, and said, I know you. And the way I know you is because you would come into the Starbucks that I served as a barista in, and you would sit with people and talk. And every time they would start crying. Mm. And initially we thought you must have been the meanest person on the planet <laughs> because you made people cry. And you had a reputation of being the lady who made people cry. It was kind of like her first nation's name, her, her right, native right, name, right. the lady who makes people cry. And she said, then one day one of us got close and we realized that someone was pouring out their heart to mm, you wow. and you were hearing them and you were loving them. And so I've come to Jesus and I want to thank you mm for those three or four years that you came into our coffee shop every single week. And I encourage pastors, Randy, get off the campus, bro. Get off the campus, sis. I love our big flourishing church campuses where God's doing amazing things, but get out in the community and don't take your family Bible and because that's sort of what pastors do. We say, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna get into the Starbucks and then we take our laptop and we take a big family Bible and then we look at people and write our sermons by asking the questions, what kind of questions are they asking? And there's some value in that. But leave your Bible back in the office and get into the neighborhood. Meet some people. Yeah. Listen to some stories. Don't feel like you've got to give a defense for your faith. Yeah. Don't feel like that you've got to you know, stoke the division in our nation, because if you don't hold the line, then the line won't be held. Just love people like Jesus and see where that might lead. I think it'll lead to some really special things yeah. and especially the salvation of people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it will. And it, what's interesting, you know, cause the Bible says to be ready to, you know, give an answer for your faith. Right. And we, we think, man, that I need a doctorate. I need, and so we think we're not qualified, but man, when you're, when you're plugged in as a branch to that vine to Christ, you don't have to have the PhD to give the answer because 
you're not alone. God will provide it as, as it's needed. The closer we are with him, we'll, we'll just be instead of trying to do. And and that's, it changes everything. I'm going to show people real quickly your website and give them a uh, resource to go to if they want to follow up cityofgrace.com. Uh, and, but Terry, I want to ask you this because I know some people will watch this kind of interview, hear these kinds of things and they'll think, boy, that's great. But then there's a, but, and they think yeah. I, I, I'm not qualified. I can't do it. It's not my personality. I, whatever. Um, what would you say to that person who thinks, yeah, I, you know, it, that'd be great. I just don't have the confidence within myself or the inclination to be that person. I think you have more in you than what you realize. You have a story and it's your own story and it doesn't need to be any more than what it is. Uh, it may be a story of God working in your life in the last couple of months or the last couple of decades. But your story is what someone needs to hear. I think also just real quickly in closing here, Randy, that there's another but that I thought of as you were saying that. A lot of times people say, I don't I don't want to go out there. And the but is because I'm afraid of being contaminated. I'm afraid of being defiled. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of Christians live with a fragile righteousness, mm-hmm. with a very thin righteousness that's based upon good works alone, based upon behavior, based upon keeping the law. And I think we have a much more robust righteousness than we even realize that Jesus has become our righteousness. He didn't pray that his disciples would stay in the holy huddle because of fear of their contamination. He didn't pray that they would stay home because their testimonies weren't fully developed. He just simply prayed, Father, Keep them and send them. Keep them and send them. Protect them and deploy them. And I think that every single one of us need to take confidence in that. We have a story. We have a testimony. God is at work in our lives. And we don't have to fear the darkness overcoming the light. Yeah. Boy, I love it. It's a powerful truth, man. I mean, and, you know, we read it in the scripture, but it's really nice to hear it, to to be encouraged in the way that you're encouraging people. Thank you. Really good to see you again. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate all you guys out there watching. Uh, This will encourage somebody. Hit that share button. And if you haven't liked or followed or subscribed, I would invite you to do that. As always, we've got a lot of great guests coming up uh, on Life Today Live, so I want you to be a part of it. Check out Loving Samaritans wherever you get books. It will encourage you. See you again next time here on Life Today Live. And abundant brings of grace.